Welcome to Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello, and happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. And Alex Lawson. Yeah, uh, uh, thanks. And it is nice to have you back. Some things have happened. I don't know if you've read the newspaper. No, I don't I don't really follow the news. <laughs> um, it's good to unplug while you're on vacation. Nothing you didn't miss anything big. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I uh, I was I was just I mean, I spent two weeks eating a medically inadvisable amount of ham in the Iberian Peninsula, and, um, you know, I have no idea what's happened. But, you know, I keep hearing about this uh, Trump guy. I don't know what his deal is. He's an he's a, he's a <laughs> influential figure in the news. Yeah, he sure is. Um, and so we're going to talk about that the whole show, and not just to catch up, Bill. It With the impeachment news everywhere, it's easy to get lost in the weeds and confused, so we mm-hmm. just thought we'd do one of our explainer shows, break it down, what exactly is going on. And it's just us. Yep, just us hosts talking just, about Just the pro se three-man weave. But we did want to mention before we got into it that we have some pretty exciting Law360 podcast news. Yeah, uh, the podcast empire grows at Law360. <laughs> well, and this is, I mean, Bill, you come back and the president is being impeached and we have new podcasts. I like know. All, like, well, we're, I feel like, like I'm being impeached, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so let me tell everybody about the new show that we are premiering next week. It's called The Term. It's hosted by two favorites of uh, the guests on on Pro Se. It's Jimmy Hoover, our Supreme Court reporter down in D.C., mm-hmm. and Natalie Rodriguez, who's an editor-at-large up here in New York. And it's going to be a quick hit show where you can catch up on Supreme Court news. It was only a matter of time before Jimmy got the call up to the bigs for his own show. He's so great yeah. uh, on our show. And he'll still be he'll still uh, be on Pro Se from he will. time to time talk about the big cases. And Natalie's great as well, so it should be should, Yeah, should be it's really going to be good. really fun. So anybody who's interested in that show, check out Apple Podcasts. You can just search for Law360. The show is called The Term, mm-hmm. so you'll be able to find it there and download it. Or you can check out the webpage for that show. It's law360.com slash the term. Great. Let's get into this week. It's been a I, – I mean, we, we were joking about it before, but I, I like I land on, on Tuesday, and I like – yeah. It felt like I, I I could feel news <laughs> in America. Like it's the like news. You cut hit you right it. in the face. True, yeah. true journalist gets off the plane, like put, <laughs> puts his finger in his mouth, puts it in the air. It's like there's news afoot. I can tell. Well, you know, and we've talked about a lot of things that have come um, up during the the Trump presidency, but this has got to be the biggest one yet. It does feel like a different gear or something. So what I mean, what we're talking about is that this week the the House of Representatives kicked off a uh, formal impeachment. Uh, inquiry into mm-hmm. President Trump. It was kicked off by the sort of explosive allegations that that he had uh, asked for a favor from the Ukrainian president yeah. to look into one of his chief political rivals. So it's it's just this, and it's and it's moving <laughs> very it very is. quickly. Yeah. yeah, I mean that is one caveat with the show that we say from time to time, but it feels especially important in this episode. We're recording this on Friday morning to try to be as fresh as possible, but. By the time some people listen to the show, more things will probably have happened. Yeah, it's I mean, we were, we were breakneck speed. We were joking yesterday that, like, I mean, re- we were going to record yesterday, and then the president uh, lightly threatened that he was going to hang someone, and it just, you know, we were like, let's move on to the, yeah, let's move it to yeah. tomorrow, so like we'll, you do. So we'll get to that, but let's first do a little table setting because I think there's some background here that's important to understanding what's going on. Yeah, so it. Feels, I mean, it really feels cause, again because I landed in America on Tuesday, but it, it really feels like it burst onto the scene this week. This yes. whole thing, yeah. but it, if you unpack it a little bit, it goes uh, quite a bit further back. Surprisingly, so, it's easy for news to get lost in the shuffle in the yes. Trump administration. But yes, um, but so for for about a year now, for, but but for at least six months, it's been there's been these sort of 
bubbling theories in conservative media mostly and then sort of amplified by the president and by other folks that um, that there are these two lines of accusations involving the country, the Ukraine. Um, they're very complex and they're very sort of in the weeds. But the gist of them are the first one is that um, people in the Ukraine worked with the Democratic National Committee to um, to release damaging information about the Trump campaign, about Paul Manafort and yeah. to hurt the president's 2016 election campaign. The other and more important for the purposes of this week is that um, uh, then Vice President Joe Biden used his political influence to sort of lean on pro prosecutors and investigators in the Ukraine to quash an investigation into a natural gas company uh, that his son was involved with, his yes. son Hunter Biden, who um, that he sat on the board of this gas company mm -hmm. and that... that that Biden had asked to get this prosecutor removed and it had effectively killed this this corruption investigation. Mm -hmm. I mean, one important note right there is that there's no real evidence that these things um, were untoward or, or anything bad happened. Ukrainian officials have come out and said as much. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, it, it, no, and and the the the. Obama administration line and from the and from from the Ukrainians is that actually quite the opposite is true. It's like Biden, they 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 asked for the prosecutor to be dismissed because he wasn't taking corruption cases, um, right. which is um, the getting the truth of the matter is going to become thorny here very quickly, as we'll learn. But that's just sort of that that's sort of how we got to, to yeah. This for the week. for the purposes of this catch up, we can pretty clearly say that the the <clears throat> the Ukrainian officials, the, the the source of some of these accusations has since said. That they that there is no evidence to support them. Mm -hmm. So for months now, there's there's been these you know media reports and uh, rumblings that the folks in the Trump world, uh, namely Rudy Giuliani, the mm -hmm. president's personal attorney, were reaching out to the Ukraine, were m making overtures to try to get these two lines of inquiry reopened in yeah. the Ukraine. Um, th so the th things started to pick up. In terms of the moving us toward this week's scandal in yeah. August, when um, a report came out that the that that the Trump administration had refused to allow a two hundred and fifty million dollar aid package to the Ukraine to go through, um, then in mid September, the Washington Post reported that um, that there was the existence of this whistleblower camp complaint. It wasn't really clear what it was about, but it was a about a call between Trump and this foreign leader. Yeah. So that's when the details really start to flood in. Um, on September 19th, the Washington Post again reported that this whistleblower complaint that they had already reported on dealt with a call between Trump and the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. Yes. On September 21st, the Wall Street Journal reported that Trump had urged Zelensky to probe Joe Biden, who we all know is running for president and right. is seen as one of the front runners for the 2020 Democratic uh, nomination. Yeah. Uh, on September 23rd, this past Monday, the Post reported that the $250 million had been withheld ahead of that July call with with right. uh, the, the president of the Ukraine. So on September 24th, on Tuesday, the pressure is mounting for Trump to release a transcript of this call mm -hmm. to give details about the call. The biggest piece of pressure, obviously, was that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, announced formal impeachment inquiries citing the 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 uptick in these reports about this right. call and what it you know people it, were starting yeah. to put together that what 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 had perhaps occurred on this yeah on and this obviously call. that's a huge deal because we've spent years with various people um calling for 
the idea of impeachment for President Trump for various for reasons. Various reasons. Yeah. So when we finally got into something where the Democrats have pulled the trigger, that's huge news. Right. And just to just to be clear about what the sort of the subtext accusation was, is that like he was using the power of his office to go after these things that would politically help him right. personally, which yeah. is not allowed. Uh, on September 25th, <laughs> Uh, the administration releases a summary of the call. The, the idea being that this is, you know, this is going to clear them yeah. of, of, you know, that they didn't do anything wrong. It was so, a reconstructed transcript, basically, exactly. of the, it was, you know, modified by the White House. Right. Yeah. But so this just fuels the fire because yeah. it shows pretty clearly that Trump, uh, you know, he... The the call starts out where he's detailing how much aid the U.S. had given to the Ukraine, and then he explicitly asks for a favor directly after that, where he he asks Zelensky to launch an investigation in into Biden as well as the accusations about the DNC and the 2016 election. Um, fueling things even further was what Alex just alluded to, which is that it wasn't a transcript; it was sort of framed that way initially, yeah. but it was a summary of the call that clearly did not explain everything that had happened in the call. It was mm-hmm. only yeah. like five pages and it covered a 30 minute phone to call. To me, this was very reminiscent of when we were all waiting for the Mueller report. Yeah. And first we got um, Attorney General Barr's summary of what was in the report. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so this had that same like vibe of like, okay, well, but can we see the actual thing? Exactly. Yeah. So that gets us up to, to uh, so Wednesday evening, the pressure is mounting for the actual whistleblower complaint that right. had, that had, Pushed all of this to up into the open, um, yeah. for that to be released because mm-hmm. that was that was about this call, and people thought that will give more details about what actually occurred on the call, and and uh, you know really get to the bottom of it. And um, on Thursday morning, that actual uh, whistleblower complaint was released, and it did not disappoint. Uh, yeah, uh, the whistleblower complaint was released. Uh, like we say on Thursday morning, it was ahead. Um, it was released by the House Intelligence Committee, which was having a hearing yep. about the con- the the content of the. If uh, you're the like my household, my husband and I both woke up and immediately opened our phones and started reading the whistleblower complaint. <laughs> yeah. I think we were probably pretty typical of a lot of at, Americans. I do that, that every morning. morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll we'll talk in a little bit about this the 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 journey of the complaint right. to the public eye in a bit, but. Um, the point is the complaint was unsealed um, and circulated to the public ahead of this hearing. And along with it, there was a letter from the Intelligence Community's Inspector General, um, which uh, basically, I mean, the the complaint, we'll talk about it, just sort of has its own uh, sort of points of interest. But there was an, an Inspector General letter that accompanied it that basically said the things in this complaint, the allegations are credible. Mm-hmm. And that sort of start that that lit the, that lit the spark. Um, to sort of bring it in the public and yeah. the public eye and have a hearing about it and like fuels the impeachment uh, well, process. Let's hit some of the big uh, key points because there was a, a lot to digest. Yeah, in this. there's a lot to digest, and this is um, we'll talk a little bit about you know sort of what is the easiest impeachment case to make, and this this involves sort of officials and non-officials dealing with foreign dignitaries overseas. Right. It can get a little wonky, but the the thing to know is that um, the uh, whistleblower complaint basically brought into the open all these things that were alluded to by the White House uh, transcript, in quotes, and all these news stories. This is sort of the top-line quote from the still-anonymous whistleblower. 
In the course of my official duties, I have received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. This interference includes, among other things, pressuring a foreign country to investigate one of the president's main domestic political rivals. So, as we've been referring to here, the top line thing here is that the whistleblower is honing in uh, very directly on the call between Trump and Zelensky um, as sort of his main example of like using his office improperly. So the document, uh, just as a to, to make it very clear, the document makes clear that the whistleblower um, did not, was not a party to the call, did not listen to the call, didn't really witness a lot of these events. These are not firsthand accounts. But it reads almost like a journalistic thing. It's like yeah. ma- many, many White House officials have told me they have observed this. They are troubled by this, well, et cetera, we, et cetera. And, and we can get into that. We'll probably get into this later. But um, it has since come out that this is a CIA analyst. Yes. So they, you know, there was a certain level of rigor to the way yeah. that this document was compiled. And the person had expertise and apparently in Ukrainian uh, diplomacy and that kind of stuff. So it seemed like they really knew what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, and... The the sort of it was interesting to read uh, this person's description of the call after we read the White House's transcript of the call, um, where you know Trump the the whole thing now that we're focusing on is like the existence of a quid pro quo and all of this, where Trump um, basically said um, you didn't quote from the from the uh, call transcript right okay so this is this is what Trump said to Zelensky. There's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general, that would be great. Uh, Biden went around bragging that he stopped prosecution, so if you can look into it. Um, now, that is by itself what he said earlier in the call. He references the level of foreign aid right. that the U.S. provides to Ukraine. Yeah. Then many paragraphs go by, and then he says this. And this is sort of the crux. It's not, it's not many paragraphs. It's well, like, no, no, yeah. yeah. Some, some time goes by, and then they're talking about this. Yes. Um, so that is sort of the main that, – that, that is the nut of this sort of corruption, sort of uh, uh, abuse of office complaint. Uh, the other main thing, um, as Bill already alluded to, is that Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, now the, now serving as the president's attorney, uh, making whirlwind media appearances these days. Yes. Um, they are directly implicated. Um, the, this is the bit that I'm really excited to yeah. kind of dig into because it's attorneys, and I'm always yeah. curious about what they're doing. Well, the complaint. I mean, it's it's been it's funny to read read the whistleblower complaint and then see what Giuliani is doing in the public eye. Right. He's like kind of wild media appearances. I love that you mentioned the the Giuliani attorney angle because don't forget that I mean we we remember Giuliani as the mayor of New York yeah. prosecutor. Yeah. We now remember we now know him as the Trump's personal attorney and everything else. In between, he was a name partner at a big law firm, Bracewell and Giuliani, and which then, now is yeah. just now is just Bracewell. Yeah, but, and then and then he went to Greenberg Traurig, which is which is no no small potatoes there. So yes. Um but yes, he's um uh he's he's on another career track right now. Um and anyway, back to the complaint. The complaint kind of he's like he pops in and out of the complaint as like something of a chaos agent yeah. because he doesn't work for the government. <laughs> like he is like we say Trump's personal lawyer now, but he is making over he is alleged in the in the document to be making overtures to various Ukrainian officials and trying to get Trump in touch with these officials for right. the purposes of rooting out, you know, the Biden related corruption, you know, uh, in Ukraine such as it is. 
And he very brazenly earlier, like the Giuliani aspect of this was never a secret. He yeah, publicly yeah. said at one point he publicly said in an interview that he was trying to meddle in a Ukrainian investigation. <laughs> yes. I think it was sort of like an offense as defense kind of thing where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm allowed to do this. Yes. I'm, I'm just trying to get them to investigate. Well, in any case, in the complaint, um, it says that the, the, this level of activity from Giuliani um, uh, got so sort of egregious that the that State Department officials had to intervene and basically take him aside in order to, and the, the the complaint frames it as, quote, contain the damage to U.S. national security by him sort of going out official, outside of official channels, right. back-channeling for Trump. Yeah, this is not a thing that a uh, personal lawyer to the president would typically yeah. be doing. Well, Barr, um, uh, uh, Attorney General uh, uh, Barr is also... Uh, Named as sort of being involved in helping in aiding the president sort of abuse his office. He doesn't really come back to that very much other than just uh, the content of the call wherein Trump urges Zelensky to meet with Giuliani and Barr right. about the Biden thing. Yeah. So um, that is like fleshed out in there. Um, but really, so I mean, f- from there, like the whistleblower complaint basically corroborates what had been reported in the media and what the White House gave us in the uh, pseudo transcript. But where it really kind of, where the worm really turned um, is sort of, there will be a lot of focus on, you know, the extent to which whatever Trump said to Zelensky is a big deal or whether it flouts norms or it breaks the law or whatever. Um, What is clear from the fact pattern in the whistleblower complaint is that White House officials certainly seem to think that something unsavory took place during this phone call. Yes, they took a lot of actions that indicate how they felt about this. So according to the complaint, the the officials told the whistleblower that White House lawyers directed them to, quote, lock down the official transcript of the call that was made by the White House Situation Room. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that they move it from, you know, uh, these these transcripts are are put in servers that are meant to be archived and then sort of circulated to the rest of the cabinet. Um, what the lawyers instructed the officials to do instead was to move it from this sort of circulating, uh, you know, electronic server and into a more secure server that is code word protected and is only supposed to be used for nationals to, to safeguard national security matters, which were not implicated in this call. They're yeah. just having a kind of exchange of pleasantries about, you know, Ukrainian right. leadership and, and things like that. We had um, Jody Godoy wrote a story about all of the things we're talking about today. Um, and one of the things that some ethics experts and, and others were telling her is that this really does show that they knew something was up Well, here. that's the thing. Like, uh, w- the idea is you wouldn't have bothered to move this transcript yeah. if you didn't think there was something to potentially protect or hide. Yeah. And that's not all though because they make the they uh, the whistleblower makes very clear that that was those steps were taken for this phone call. Then there's a footnote um to this part of the complaint uh where the official said that this is quote not the first time that the White House has locked down a Trump transcript phone call. This is a, a, a direct quote for the purpose of protecting politically sensitive rather than national security sensitive information. Mm. So this a step this alludes to a pattern of shielding politically inconvenient information for Trump using sort of official security channels. I feel like, as is true with most fast-evolving stories and lots of things in the Trump world, every time you learn a new piece of information, I just have a million other questions. Like, were they moving Yeah, one door opens to a hallway of new doors. Yeah, but I mean, because we've heard some of the early Trump phone calls with world leaders that I think the White House was 
fairly embarrassed by where <laughs> Trump wasn't doing anything untoward as is alleged here, but yeah. it was just gaffes with people. It yeah. was, you know, things he would say to the Australian prime minister. One was yeah, yeah. he said some weird things. Yeah. Like, there were various ones that came out. So I, I have all these questions of, all right, were they just trying to put all of those somewhere super secret so mm-hmm. people didn't see them? Or is it something far more sinister? Yeah. Um, and there will be, you know, the, this is merely the beginning of there will be hearings, we assume, and all that. And we'll sort of find out the extent of this, which is merely alluded to here in this complaint. Um, that's sort of the, the that's sort of the meat of what is alleged um, yeah. in in the complaint about Trump's the way that he is using the office to you know benefit himself politically and concealing evidence of that activity. Um, more uh, possibly as importantly as I said at the top was the. Um, the accompanying letter, which came from the intelligence community inspector general's a man named Michael Atkinson, who reviewed the complaint and decided to pass it on to the director of the national intelligence um, with the recommendation that it be given to Congress, because under the whistleblower law, and this is where we, you know, flex the legal muscle a little bit, has to be deemed um, uh, an urgent concern. That right. is the legal term for this particular whistleblower law um, that sort of gets it funneled to the next phase of the of the process. Now, Atkinson did outline some concerns that he had. One, the thing we already said about how it is not firsthand knowledge. It's basically secondhand uh, information that is then put into a complaint. Um, also notes that he said he uncovered political bias um, that the whistleblower had against Trump, apparently not a fan of Trump sort of politically, personally, whatever. Um, but then he's very clear that those concerns, quote, did not change my determination that the complaint relating to the urgent concern appears credible. Right. So, it, you know, it's I mean, he doesn't think it's some crackpot thing. And that also makes sense just from what we the public now know, because the White House's redacted transcript, whatever we're calling that document, does match up with what the whistleblower had said in mm-hmm. their complaint. So, yeah. so far, the things we've seen all align. Yeah. yeah. And it's. It's interesting. The um, you mentioned that it, it went to the in- inspector general. The, the the procedure here is interesting. Then it then yes. it went to the the director of national security, a guy named Joseph McGuire. National intelligence. Yeah. Or, sorry. DNI. Um, yeah. And he then the two of them then sent it to the DOJ, saying maybe you should look into this p- for potential criminal charges. Criminal. Mm-hmm. The DOJ looked into it and said there's nothing to do here. And that's where until this you know until it started bubbling up to Congress, uh, that's where this sort of sort of ended. Um, But so it's interesting sort of leading into what we're going to talk about now, which is Mm -hmm. that uh, yesterday we saw Joseph McGuire, the director of national intelligence, uh, testify before Congress. Yeah. And this whole scandal that we've been talking about the whole show has been was 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 raging at that point. And, um, you know, he faced really tough questions from Democrats about why this stuff wasn't sent to them quicker and mm-hmm. why it went to the DOJ and all, all that process. But for the most part, it, it he, his testimony, the takeaways from his testimony was that he, he sort of lend, lent credibility to these accusations that yeah. he said, um, he said the act, the whistleblower had acted in good faith um, and that everything here in this matter is totally unprecedented. Yeah. Um, he, he again said that the, the complaint was urgent and important and, um, and he said, and this was the takeaway, it was sort of in the context of his testimony, but no one, none of us is above the law in this country. Um, and that he had now, that he said he had done his duty by getting it to Congress, and now that it was sort of up to Congress to, to do what they will. And that, I mean, and that kind of brings us to, you know, we've laid out the, the material within right. the documents that, you know, lead to this stuff. And now we get to... 
know, squarely the question of impeachment right. and what happens. And I think, I mean, people are pretty educated about this at this point. It's been written about and talked about enough. It was just like, you know, there will be a sort of formal inquiry by the House of Representatives to decide whether Trump has, you know, um, committed impeachable conduct. Yeah. Right. And that's where it kind of gets to what I was alluding to with regard to whether or not there was so much of the Mueller probe that was like, okay, some weird stuff went on, but like, does this stuff happen a lot? Or are we just like paying attention to this more now? Cause this is a, this is an unpopular president. Yeah. Like, is it, is it illegal? Is it this and this? That is basically out the window now because yes. I mean, we, we've done the dance of you can't indict a sitting president. Mm-hmm. This is pretty clear in the eyes of this DOJ and DOJ. And also report. impeachment's different from that anyway. Yes. Impeachment doesn't turn on whether or not something is codified as a criminal law. No. So, the, the, the standards for impeachment in the Constitution are treason, bribery, high crimes, or misdemeanors, right. which and, can get you to a lot of things. And high crimes and misdemeanors are largely dependent on what Congress thinks are um, against the values of what we instill in the president. So Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have a robust debate about that. And I think we're already starting to see those contours where you've heard a lot of people talk about, was there a quid pro quo in this conversation? Um, And, and we may not even have to prove that for Congress to think. No, that's a, that's a, that's a bribery law thing. That's a a thing. And I mean, they, they will, you know, go around that carousel a couple times. Undoubtedly, I'm not saying they won't adhere to legal principles. These are you know, these are people with law degrees, after all. Yeah. Like, there will be something, but it does come down to what they deem unsavory well, or unbecoming of the office. It's It'll be interesting to see how they, how <clears throat> the Democrats frame this as they move forward, because do you frame it in the question of legality? Do you frame it in the question right. of, of these right. criminal law questions? The the idea of, you know, the, the definition of something of value for campaign finance law, the definition right. of a quid pro quo for right. bribery law, or do you frame it in the context of constitutional duty and the idea these broader concepts or you know there's there's the even bigger question of is this just a question is this a purely political question is it a question of political power and yeah. whether or not you can do this it's um there's gonna be I think for, so many things to unpack there in the context i you know we talked about this leading up to this show because we were we were trying to find <laughs> these you know more sort of in the weeds legal stuff to talk you know it's how the, our brains work guys right? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and these these political questions are not squarely in the wheelhouse yep. of this show the value of this show is that we talk about the nerdy angles of i it. know and you know it's i think it it made us all think about the the distinctions that that we're sure. going to see here in terms of the the really fine legal questions versus the broader questions of of you know constitutional duty and what the president right. is supposed to do and whether or not he And I think also we have to look at this. None of this is in a vacuum. So even on our own show where, like you said, we talk about the more legal angles, the the more sort of nerdy questions. um, We've talked about Mueller and his investigation repeatedly. And it will be interesting to see how people square these two things up together because Mm -hmm. it's worth noting that this call that is the center of all of this happened the very day after Mueller had testified on Capitol yeah. Hill. And so there's a lot of people making noise about, well, if the president had any sort of um, way out of culpability for anything he did uh, in that time period, like when he was campaigning and wasn't president, you know, there's lots of arguments about like, oh, he he was new to politics and, and could get away with a bit more. Yeah. You certainly can't after Mueller's been on Capitol Hill the day before testifying about election interference. That's right. true. I mean, the only other thing I guess I would add in terms of what comes next is 
you know, we've 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 walked you through the Ukraine situation and that will be parsed in public for weeks to come, we can assume. But then the other thing is that that Nancy Pelosi is grappling with is how like, OK, so we're doing an impeachment inquiry right now. It's about this. Right. There are calls still to do like to broaden the impeachment inquiry sure. into whether we're doing we're doing emoluments violations or the Trump, you know, evasiveness on the tax return. Yep. Matter. There are things and it reminded me talk like when you read political and legal analysts, it reminded me of what how people describe going to trial, where mm-hmm. it's like, what's the best story for us to tell? Yeah. In that context, you're trying to convince a jury. Right. Here, you're trying to make a case. I mean, it's the House of Representatives that will that will make the call on impeachment, but you're basically basically making the case to the American people. Yeah. Um, and what they and, and what you deem is like an actually. But the strategy is similar. I mean, yeah. we I think um, Matt Boltman, I think, just wrote a story a week or two ago, just specifically about like patent cases, because I always bring this back to IP sure. somehow. Um, uh, where it was like I wouldn't have okay, pa- I, I I wouldn't have called that for this show, but good job. I, I know, but I can do it. I can do it with everything. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, one of the things he had people tell him was when you're presenting a case that's complicated, like a, a patent trial can be, don't throw every single claim at a jury because yeah. they'll get lost in the weeds. That's so the that's thing, yeah. one strategy. We talked about that, that with might apply here. We talked about that with Strickler and the Greg sure. Craig thing. He got he he the consensus there was that he walked because it was too complicated. Yes. So yes. you know, make of that what you will. But uh, yeah, the impeachment. The impeachment train is a rolling. Guys, I feel like we've had such a serious show that I wanted to give us a little palate cleanser to to end today. Yeah, something sure. different than the fate of the Republic. <laughs> yeah. The something, American experiment. Something much, much lighter. And here's the title I've got for you. Mischievous raccoons not subject to the law, judge says. Hmm. Great. I'm hooked. Well, you know I love stories about animals, so I Yeah, and well and and how and how the law applies to them. This yeah, is because you, you and Bill have been through these wars. I talked about Naruto with a lot of yeah. affection. That was the selfie taking monkey. <laughs> yes. Bill less so than I how much yeah, I loved I was, it. But... I was I was done with that one by the end of it. <laughs> well, in I, this I, one, I was the one who had to write about that goddamn case. <laughs> I assigned it to you over and over and I have no regrets. Um in this one, a federal judge tossed out an insurance coverage suit from a Pittsburgh area business that argued they should be covered for, quote, vandalism and malicious mischief caused by a gang of raccoons. Wow. It's um, just, I love it so much. Okay, I, there are, there are questions, but let's, before we get to the questions, <laughs> well, it does, make, it does make sense that it's the context of an insurance uh, sure. coverage case. I feel like there are a lot of legal fictions when it comes to insurance. Yes. <laughs> so, so let me tell you about what these raccoons did. They entered a dwelling owned by this company, it was a company called Capital Flip, and they basically destroyed a ton of stuff. And then Capital Flip argued that its dwelling policy with its insurance company was ambiguous and that it didn't have some explicit provision excluding coverage for damage caused by animals. Right. Okay. They said terms like vandalism and malicious mischief are ambiguous because they weren't defined and so they should apply. Right. So the idea so it's I mean raccoons definitely are mischievous animals. They are. I, I mean I, I would a, good, really... a good aside here is that in 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 my neighborhood and Alex's neighborhood I was going to oh, it is overrun by raccoons we because are, we, we live are like budding. Oh guys, I have so many facts about raccoons for you. Though. Okay. We yeah. live next to like a giant cemetery that is just a breeding ground for raccoons. Yeah. They rule okay. the neighborhood at night. So, um I don't know that we've ever talked about this on the show, but I really 
deep in the core of my being love animal facts. Mm-hmm. It's okay. one of my favorite things. So I'm I'm great when I'm talking to like ten year old kids because they also love them. I mean, uh, I feel like you have some raccoon facts. <laughs> I've got a lot. So raccoons are super smart. They often end up places they shouldn't be and causing trouble. Yeah. Um, in the early 1900s, there was this study that gave 12 raccoons a series of locks to get into to yeah. get into like a box that had food in it. Mm-hmm. Well, they're very dexterous. They yeah. are. And so it had like hooks and latches and buttons and all kinds of stuff. In the end, the raccoons could get through 11 of 13 mechanisms. So they're very bright. Nice. But yeah. to the point of you guys living in Brooklyn, and this actually plays into this story because it was Pittsburgh, another city. Studies have shown that city raccoons are smarter than country raccoons. That checks out. Which that, sounds like a, that sounds like a children's book. Definitely. Doesn't city it? Raccoon, city raccoon, country raccoon. I love it. But yeah, one study planted these garbage cans that had um, like a tricky lid to open, and they put them in rural areas and in urban areas. And more, almost all of the city raccoons could figure out how to open it to get to food, but not one country raccoon could do it. I wonder if during the next, after the next raccoon election, the raccoon New York Times will do. There's going to be a lot of parachuting journalism pieces where they talk about the disconnect between the elitist city raccoons yeah. and the country raccoons who have a lot more power over the electorate than they thought. There's a lot of economic <laughs> anxiety among rural, uh, you hear rural it. raccoons. You read about the, it. The trash I cans mean, just aren't, aren't accessible. It They're just not. makes so much sense to me in reading the story, knowing these facts in the back of my head that, yeah, of course those Pittsburgh raccoons got into some like dwelling and caused a, some mischief. They could get in anywhere. A populist raccoon from Brooklyn emerges. Wait, hold we on. We need access to affordable <laughs> guys, trash cans. Guys, let's get back to the, to the case at, at issue. Right. Yes, sorry. Um, okay. What, what did the court say to this uh, raccoon the legal court, theory? The court doesn't love these raccoons as much as I do. Yeah, so. that makes sense. <laughs> it does, I know. So they said the dictionary definition and, and just legal usage in general says that terms like you know vandalism and, and mischief and whatever don't apply to animals. Hmm. The judge said this. By its very language, criminal mischief, like all crimes, requires a human actor. Animals are subject only to laws of nature, not Pennsylvania crimes code or laws governing human conduct. So, I know. I, I mean, I, I mean, I think he's wrong to say that that, that raccoons aren't mischievous. Aren't mischievous. I think they categorically are. I think that I think the analysis misses that they that they do not they are not malicious. That's probably that's my right. that's just that's my opinion. Right. I'm not here well, to the judge. Here's one last thing I'd like to leave us on. Animal because brain. I love these animal stories so much. I was also very enamored with the fact that the judge cited to a bunch of other courts that have weighed this exact <laughs> same question about whether vandalism and malicious mischief this apply guy, to animals. This judge got a lot of time on his and hands. All the, basically, every other court that's viewed it did the same thing this judge did. Said it doesn't apply to animals. Um, but the judge well, quoted. There was a poem in a New Mexico state court opinion where a bobcat caused property damage. I already hate this. I You're going to hate it even more because yeah. I'm ending with a stanza from the poem, which is much <laughs> longer, but I only picked out one stanza. Alas, it is written in the law that an animal with the paw does not have the mind to do damage of this kind. We got to get that judge more important cases, <laughs> like more stuff to do. I understand how you feel about it, but I thought this is what a very heavy show needed. It needed some animal poetry to end us out today. I agree. Thanks for being with me, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. It's been a pleasure, as always. We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our contributing reporters this week, Jody Godoy and Sarah Jarvis. And music for the show that comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. The show's available everywhere you download podcasts, and we'd love it if you subscribe to the show. Please leave us a review. It helps other people find us. Thanks, and see you again next week. <laughs>